The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. That's a tough one to follow, but we will anyway. Monday edition, PFTPM, Shereen Williams. Mike Florio here with you for the next hour. You know, I mentioned Varsity Blues. There was a discussion that happened on, I think, a text thread with Chris Sims, Pete Demolitis, and Matt Casey regarding the connection between football, football movies, boxing, boxing movies. Like, the better the sport in real life, the worse the movies are. So the boxing movies are really good because boxing isn't. Football movies are really bad because real football is. Well, and I would argue that baseball movies are very good, too. I mean, you think of three or four that were outstanding baseball movies. It's a great point. I don't know that there's a football movie that I'm just completely in love with that I would want to go watch over and over and over again. But there are baseball movies. There are boxing movies. Rocky, of course. And not in football. It's a great point. Yeah, the football movies, for the most part, are disappointing. Remember, The Titans is one that I can watch yeah. once a year. That's or it. That's the only one. But, but, but even that isn't spectacular. It just stands out because it's good in comparison to most of the other football movies that are out there. All right. No segue possible into this reality for the <laughs> Cleveland Browns, yeah. although they thought it was going to be a Hollywood type of a season. It's anything but. And they won on Sunday over the Detroit Lions, but it doesn't feel like a win because the Lions are horrible. They were start all, all day. They know it at this point. They started Tim Boyle instead of Jared Goff at quarterback. And even then, the Browns only beat Detroit by three points. Baker Mayfield, who didn't meet with reporters yesterday. And let's just start there before we hear from him today. I, I have said from time to time that the idea of thrusting guys, if we're going to be sensitive to the mental health of athletes, the idea of mandating that guys be available after every game, after every performance, no matter how they're feeling, it's hard to reconcile the two. But until the rules change, those are the rules. It's just like taunting. We don't like the rule, but until it changes, that's the rule. I'm sure plenty of guys would have preferred not to talk to reporters yesterday. Mayfield decided just not to do it. And it'll be interesting to see, Shireen, whether or not there's any type of a penalty for it. Yeah, you know, I was president of Pro Football Writers of America for two years, and that was one of the responsibilities was making sure guys talked. And when they didn't, I'd get those emails or phone calls or texts saying, hey, so-and-so didn't talk after the game. Larry Fitzgerald, who, as we know, is as media savvy as any player in the NFL has ever been, kept leaving after games and wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk. And so we got involved in that one, and he got assessed a fine. They usually get a letter first, and I am guessing that Baker Mayfield will get a letter first, and that will kind of be middle ground because the Browns could say that he was seeking treatment on his injuries, but I would argue that because Stefanski keeps saying after games, and he said it again yesterday, that Baker Mayfield is healthy enough 
to, to play. So if he's healthy enough to play, he's healthy enough to talk after games. And as you said, Mike, until the rules change, the rules are the rules. And that's the rule. They have to talk after games. And they have to talk at least once during the week. And so he bypassed that. I'm glad they got him today. Very good PR staff in Cleveland. I'm glad they got him before the media today. Well, and, and that, that's the, the struggle I always have. On one hand, I don't like it when guys hide injuries. But on the other hand, sometimes they use their injuries as an excuse for yes. a level of performance that isn't acceptable. But sometimes it is an excuse for a level of performance that isn't acceptable. And as we engaged in the process a few weeks back, when you look at Baker Mayfield at whatever percent he's at versus Case Keenum at 100, it's in the best interest of the team to go with the guy who's at 100 because his total overall quality of performance is going to be better. And I think Baker Mayfield is struggling with that now, that maybe he's right on the borderline of not being healthy enough to play, but he says he's healthy enough to play, so fine, the consequences of poor performance are on him. The reality is he probably is having his performance impaired, and it's a decision that the Browns have to make as to whether or not they want to continue to let him play through these injuries. Mayfield said today he expects to be healthy enough to play on Sunday against the Ravens. He's still got the left shoulder. I mean, at one point I think they were trying to hide the harness. It's, it's there now. You see the harness on the left shoulder. He's got the knee injury. He's got a heel injury. He said last week he's never been as banged up as he is now, and – I, I, again, it's it's a decision for someone in that organization to make. Baker Mayfield a few weeks back was trying to make the decision for himself. He did a 180 between like a Tuesday and a Wednesday press conference. Right. And it may be that somebody's got to make that decision as we get ready for a pretty big game. They've got the Ravens sandwich coming up. They've got Ravens by Ravens the next three Sundays. They, they better be ready to make a good decision about who they're going to entrust the quarterback position to. Oh, and, and I'm sure it's a hard decision, Mike. He's your starting quarterback, but you have a decent backup behind him in Case Keenum. So your playoffs are on the line here. You have to make that decision. It's a hard decision to make. But I was surprised that Baker Mayfield played as well as he did in Week 9, but that's been his one good game since these injuries have piled up. They beat Cincinnati, just killed them in that game 41-16. But aside from that, he's not played well. And I have no doubt it's the injuries. Despite what they say, they can say it's not injuries, not injuries. It is injuries. He, he's hurt. He's, he's, nobody questions his toughness. He is as tough as they come. I get it. But at some point, Mike, the organization has to step in and say, hey, we get it. You're tough. You want to play. But our best bet is to go with the backup. Case Keenum let you heal a little bit. Shoulder's not going to get any better. But maybe his other injuries get well enough that he can go out there and execute like he did against the Bengals. And like we know, games we've seen that he plays really well because he hasn't played well of late. And this is what we hear over and over again this time of the year. Nobody's 100% now. Everybody's banged up to some extent. And so other players don't necessarily want to hear it, but it is part of the reality, and we all focus on the health of the quarterback because it's the most important player on the team. I mean, the Aaron Rodgers toe is going to be a point of focus and discussion and scrutiny and concern as he continues deeper and deeper into the season because it's getting worse, not better. And things typically don't get a chance to heal on the fly it's good the Browns have their bye week coming up, just like the Packers have their bye week coming up, and we'll see how healthy it makes Baker Mayfield. But the reality is, 
You're going to get hit. You're going to get hurt. And your injuries aren't going to heal if you continue to get hit while you're trying to heal. And, of course, it all goes back to, and this was, a, you know, the conversation from last week, know when to not put yourself in harm's way. Yeah. And don't go make a tackle after you throw an interception. That was the, the first domino that began to fall for Baker Mayfield way back in week two, back when everybody's 100% and they're in the best shape they've ever been in. They throw themselves into that fray. If you're not careful, you start down this path that gets you to the point where you're falling apart by Thanksgiving. Yeah, and Mike, he has two 300-yard passing games this season. One came in week one when he played really well against Kansas City. They didn't pull that one out, but he played pretty darn well in that game, 321 passing yards, no touchdowns and interception, but I thought he played pretty well, completed 75% of his passes. And then he didn't come back until week five against the Chargers and has his second 300-yard game and two touchdowns in that game, but he hasn't had one since. So I'm going to throw this to you. Does Case Keenum give – fully healthy Case Keenum – Give them the best chance to win right now. Yes, yes. So look, I'm a big believer in Agreed. Case Keenum. I thought the Vikings should have kept him after the 2017 season. He's a guy who can throw accurately when the pocket is intact, and he's a guy who has the mobility to slide out of the pocket and buy time and set his feet again and look for another guy open down the field. That's one of the reasons why the Vikings went on that hot streak in 2017, and Kevin Stefanski was there with him as the quarterback's coach. So I think it makes a ton of sense. And the subtext of all of this is – Baker Mayfield doesn't have his contract. And even though Andrew Berry, the GM of the team, tried to say in the offseason that the Jared Goff and Carson Wentz deals aren't cautionary tales, they are cautionary tales. And when you pay that guy, when you go all in, you're tied to him for a certain period of time, for better or worse. And unlike... The normal situation where people say for better or worse, there's a way to get a divorce. The cap charge that doesn't apply to a marriage, different kind of financial consequence. There's no cap charge that keeps you from getting a divorce as a quarterback and a team. Sorry for the metaphor, but that's kind of what it is. If you get to the point where it's over, you can't walk away. So you better be damn sure if you're going to pay that quarterback that he's your guy. And I think that's the problem now. And even though they won't come out and admit it because they don't want to piss him off any more than he's just kind of already got that baseline pissed off attitude, which is good at times, bad at others. At some point, the rubber's got to meet the road here. At some point, the Browns are going to have to say, hey, Baker, we'd like to keep you on the team, but you ain't getting $40 million a year. And if you think you're getting $40 million a year, you're going to have to go try to get it somewhere else. And he's not. At this point in his career, no. he's just not, Shireen. No, he's absolutely not, Mike. And I think he's making things worse playing through all these injuries and playing badly and everyone coming out and say, well, he's healthy enough to play because, as I've said a million times, that just speaks to poor performance. If that's the case, it's just flat-out poor performance and you certainly don't deserve $40 million. We're going to hear after the season when this thing's over how banged up he was, how tough he was. He played through all these injuries and – Go Baker, way to, way to be tough. But that doesn't help the Browns' cause. That doesn't, to me, help his cause in trying to get a new contract. I think at this point it's up to the Browns because it's not going to be up to Baker. We already know, as you talked about that week, he said, oh, I'm, I'm playing, and then, of course, doesn't play. It's going to be up to the Browns to step in and say, we're going to give you the next two weeks off. We have a bye. You're not going to play this week. We're going to go with Case Keenum and see what happens. And that's what it's going to take, Mike. But it's not doing anybody good. It's not doing him and his contract cause any good. It's not doing the Browns any good in their, in their cause to try to make the playoffs. He's got that feisty attitude that I actually like. It's an attitude to which yeah. 
I can relate. But when it comes to a quarterback, like an Aaron Rodgers type of an attitude, you got to be able to back it up. If you're not backing it up with your performance, it's not going to win you any friends. It's not going to do you any favors. When you don't show up to talk to the media after a game that you've won because you don't like the fact that you got booed because you didn't play well, that's not going to endear you to the powers that be or the fans, the ones who could make it a political necessity that the Browns have to pay him something that they don't want to pay him. I mean, if Cleveland is fully and completely in love with Baker Mayfield, he's getting $40 million a year even if he doesn't deserve it from an X's and O's and production standpoint. It's, it's not the way to endear yourself if you're going to not take it on the days when you deserve to hear it from the paying customers. Let's hear from Baker Mayfield, who didn't speak to the media yesterday, but was available one day late. Baker, what did you make of, of some of the booing there in the second half from the fans? Those are probably the same fans that won't be quiet while we're on offense and trying to operate, so don't really care. You looked frustrated coming off the field yesterday. Is that why we didn't hear from you? Uh, yeah, I was frustrated, uh, among other things. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I'm not. I've never dodged any questions or hit away from that, so um, it's not about that. Just frustrated, removed emotions and uh, all that from it. And just decided it was best to to wait. I think that's what surprised us all, Baker, is that you pride yourself on on being that guy and being accountable and stepping forward. And not one part of that's not being accountable. I'd be the first to tell you I played like <laughs> so. It's, it's not about accountable, and I don't owe you guys any of that. I owe that to my teammates, and I talk to them, so that's what matters. See, that's that attitude I don't like. That's where you go too far. Your play doesn't back it up. You haven't done enough in the NFL to justify that effort to say, oh, I didn't dodge any questions, but I don't know anything to you people. Well, you did dodge questions. You dodged all of the questions by not showing up. And I think deep down he didn't trust himself to not do more harm than good by showing up yesterday. Maybe he's gotten to the point where he's sufficiently self-aware because he had some bad press conferences in 2019 when things were not going as well as they were supposed to. And so instead of putting himself in a spot, and I got to give him points for being self-aware, instead of putting himself in a spot where he was going to say something that was going to cause a problem, he just said nothing. And if he's got to make an involuntary contribution to the charity of the NFL's choice, so be it. It's better than him creating a soundbite that would have gotten everyone up in arms. And today, today was bad enough, I think. The attitude was bad enough. It probably would have been 100 times worse yesterday. Somewhere between 10 and 100 times worse. (laughs) Yeah, there's no doubt, Mike, that he he obviously would have ripped the fans and, and no telling said what, because we know Baker is outspoken. So... He probably did the right thing by by not coming on yesterday, but in in his cause, I don't think it was the right thing because I think you have to adhere to the rules. But because he would have said the wrong thing yesterday, it was probably the right thing for him to do because, as you said, Mike, it was bad enough today with what he said. I mean, you could just see his attitude uh, in those comments. And his play has not backed up what he said all season, and that's been the, the biggest part of the problem. The Browns, you look at them, Mike, when they've had expectations this year and two years ago, haven't played up to them. Expectations went down last season, and, and they played really well. So maybe they just don't need expectations anymore. Well, it, it, look, they have not handled well being a 
good team, being a team that much is expected from. We saw it in 2019. We saw it again this year. This is more of a surprise this year because in 2019 it was kind of Freddie Kitchen shouldn't have been the head coach. He was over his skis. He was so far over his skis he didn't know he was wearing skis, frankly. Kevin Stefanski (laughs) was coach of the year last year, and they got to the round of eight, and now this year – they're in a fight just to get back to the playoffs. But at least they won yesterday, even though they barely won. And two of the other teams in the division also won, the Ravens and the Bengals. Steelers' only team in the AFC North to lose. And speaking of the Ravens, John Harbaugh, coach in Baltimore, said that Lamar Jackson, who missed Sunday's game with an illness, non-COVID illness, third different week this year that he's had an illness. He had COVID back in training camp. He had a back problem that caused him to miss a couple of practices. Harbaugh said today that Lamar felt good. I don't know how good, but he was feeling much better today from what I was told. And I was told yesterday the Ravens would be shocked if he's not available on Sunday night when the Ravens host the Browns, but that he really did look rough. He really did look ragged. He really was sick. I mean, you think about what these guys do to get themselves ready to go and the willingness they have to play. They don't voluntarily let someone else come show what they can do. And Lamar Jackson, who's trying to get a contract that he deserves, last thing he needs is to let Tyler Huntley play and the Ravens say, hmm, I like the cut of his jib. I like what he can do. Maybe we don't need to give Lamar Jackson $40 million a year. He doesn't need that. He doesn't want that. And there was no contractual component to it. I think some people were trying to, to link the lack of a contract with Lamar Jackson's illness. He was truly sick. And you know, it's, it's, he's not clamoring for a contract. That's what's frustrating about it. He doesn't have an agent who's saying, you better pay my client or else. He's mm. just fine with it. He's so fine with it, he's at a disadvantage. The reality, though, is he's had this illness three different times. He's feeling better. They expect him to be good to go Sunday night. But it almost reminds me of Percy Harvin's migraines. You never quite knew when it was going to happen. You just kind of had to always expect that on a given Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, he wasn't going to practice due to a migraine, and maybe he wasn't going to play due to a migraine. It, it just reminds me of that kind of randomness now that we have to expect where Lamar Jackson may be ill and may not be able to play. I mean, when it happens three times in 11 weeks, you have to expect or at least not be surprised when it happens, Sheree. I did wonder, Mike, he's had COVID twice now, and he missed a game last season with COVID. And I do wonder if it's some lingering condition from twice having COVID. But whatever it is, I don't question whether he was ill or not because, again, his toughness, you just can't question that. I think he's as tough as they come in this league. You look at all the hits that he's taken, what he's done for his team. He's carried this team on his back. And if he was healthy enough and felt good enough to play on Sunday, he would have been out there. If they need him against the Browns because he's been so very good against the Browns, 4-1 and one in his career against the Browns, 10 touchdowns, 2 interceptions. They'd love to have him out there, obviously, every week he can play. But I'm sure they have to worry, Mike, about this popping up on a week-to-week basis because, you know, he missed those two practices last week, came back Friday, they thought he was good to go, and then it popped up again. He didn't feel good enough to play. So it seems like they just don't know when this is going to pop up, which has to be a concern for them long-term. And I'm making no statements, no comments, no observations. I'm expressing no opinions about the quality of the medical staff with the Baltimore Ravens. But I just remember there was a year where Jay Cutler – was not feeling well, and they didn't know why he wasn't feeling well, and they didn't know why he was losing weight. And I don't know how long it took them to decide, maybe we should give him a blood test and see, you know, if everything's in order. And it turned out he was diabetic. And, and again, I, 
I'm 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 making no commentary whatsoever on the quality of the health care that Lamar Jackson is receiving. But at some point, you got to take a step back and ask, what are the symptoms? What are the diagnostic tests we can run? We we just assume that these guys are Superman and that they're impervious to the problems that others could possibly develop. And I don't know, maybe there's wisdom in taking a broader view that isn't so tied to getting them ready for the next game, getting them ready for the next game, getting them ready for the next game. Let's take a step back and just see if there's a, a, a bigger issue that could be diagnosed, then treated, then resolved with Lamar Jackson. But that's the limit of my medical knowledge, training, or expertise. By the way, Trace McSorley, according to Shefty, has been signed off of the Ravens practice squad by the Arizona Cardinals. That may be bad news for Chris Streveler, who may be, I don't know, on the endangered species list there now that Kyler Murray's expected back. The Cardinals are heading into their bye. Maybe they're going to have a competition during the bye week between McSorley and Streveler. It's just odd because that's four quarterbacks on the roster unless they are going to dump Streveler. But uh, McSorley not on the practice squad. Maybe Huntley played so well yesterday the Ravens decided they didn't need to try to compete with anyone to keep him around. Yeah, that's kind of a weird move by the Cardinals because Kyler Murray seemingly is getting ready to return from his ankle injury. So why do you need another quarterback on the roster now? I'd have been, you know, it would have made more sense to me if they had signed him while Kyler was out. And just another thing to remember, and this is why, you know, I never take anything at face value because they have an incentive to not tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Remember when Kyler Murray first got injured? Oh, it's no big deal. I'm fine. He's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. This is fine. Yeah, and he hasn't played since then. That's how fine it is. And now they're they're adding a quarterback to the roster as they head into their bye week. Uh, No reason to think he won't be ready to go. In 13 days, he practiced last week. They just ultimately decided not to put him out there, that he wasn't ready yet. He will continue to heal. He will continue to get treatment. He should be good to go. But but just always be willing to just nod and say, sure, Jan, when a team, a player, a coach, a GM, an owner tells you anything that they expect you to accept at face value. For example, Justin Fields. He's still being evaluated for a rib injury. And yesterday, it's like clockwork. A guy gets a rib injury. Yeah. The night of the injury, and this happened with Gronk. Who else did it happen with? Tua, Tua. Tonga Bailoa. Yeah. Tua. Yep. X-rays negative. X-rays, X-rays negative. negative. X-rays negative. X-rays negative. Say it together now. X-rays negative, and then we find out. Oh, but he has broken ribs. Well, wait a minute. I thought the X-ray was there to tell you whether or not the ribs were broken. Well, we see how he have a scan. On the closer examination, we determined he has 27 broken ribs. I I mean, it is amazing to me. It is just so ingrained in the way that they handle this information, and they they just keep the truth away from us. So that's why I'm always vigilant, and that's why, frankly, I never believe anything anyone says, because we see time and again that, for strategic reasons, they don't tell us the truth. Yeah, I went back, Mike, and looked at the Tua timeline. It did a search within our system, and sure enough, that night, x-rays are negative, all's good, he's going to be ready to play. Next thing you know, he's on injured reserve and out three games with fractured ribs. So waiting for the MRI results, which are going to tell us more about those ribs. I would give Justin Fields one piece of advice. Like, I don't give medical advice usually, but I would be careful about getting shot to the ribs, right, Mike? 
That's right. You, you don't want Dr. Needle showing up a la Tyrod Taylor. And I just wonder what the – maybe it's the original x-ray machine that they're using for this first wave. Maybe they just have a guy stand, like, behind a sheet with a really bright light. Or they're just looking to see if, you know, is there a, a rib that is floating around in the bodily cavity because uh, these x-rays are negative, but guys continue to have broken ribs. And, by the way, the Bears play – the Lions on Thursday. And if you haven't heard, all six teams that play on Thursday lost, lost. their games on Sunday. So uh, something's got to give on Thursday. Half of those teams are going to win barring a tie. Let's go ahead and take a break. We haven't done this yet this year as far as I can remember, but the coaching decisions from Sunday justify a little game of Monday afternoon quarterback. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Fourth down, it was a wide snap. Cam Newton with time for McCaffrey, makes the catch. Did he get the first down? Cameron Curl stopped him right near the line to gain at the 35. Uh-oh, the... It, it's, it's become a thing in recent years, going forward on fourth down. And analytics have changed the mindset. It used to be coaches were very careful not to do anything that would seem to be unconventional because if you do the unconventional thing and you fail you get criticized and if that happens enough you get fired so you always reside in the boundaries of the conventional decisions i remember how crazy it was shireen years ago when barry switzer went for it on fourth and one from his own 29 in a game against the eagles how nuts we thought it was now we probably look at it and say it was the right thing to do and that pendulum has swung because and i'm a firm believer in this internally the analytics departments in which the owners have invested so much money, the ones who really want to win, they've got the beefed-up analytics departments. If you don't do what the formula suggests, you've got to answer directly to the owner. And the owner is getting his or her information directly from the analytics experts, and they understand that. They speak that language more easily than they speak X's and O's. So we're seeing these aggressive moves that the analytics would support. But again... If you roll the dice 100 times and it comes out 51 times your way, oh, that's the way you should do it all the time. Well, the other 49 times it doesn't. That, that's, that's part of what gets lost on this. These numbers are based on many, many iterations. And the idea that if you do this all the time, it's going to work out for you just enough times to make it worthwhile. The problem is, if it's just a little bit of a difference, there's going to be a lot of times where it doesn't work out. Yeah, and Mike, I would add two-point conversions to that, too. We're seeing way more of those earlier in games than we used to. And again, that goes back to analytics. There's no question about that. If you even go back probably 10 years, at least 15, when you and I were growing up, guy, if it's fourth and one on your own end, you're never going for it. I mean, that's just you're, you're sending the punt team out, not giving it a second thought. And now... 
there is a second thought, and teams do go for it in their own end early in games. We saw Mike McCarthy do it against the Broncos, and it backfired on him when they didn't get it twice in a row in their first two drives, and they ended up getting blown out. So when they make or miss these fourth downs or these two-point conversions, they either look like geniuses or they look like idiots. But as you said, when you, when you have the owner there with the analytics person whispering in their ear, well, this is what you were supposed to do, it might save the coach's job anyway. The numbers say do it all the time because if you do it all the time, more than half of the time it will work out to your advantage. It's that simple. And sometimes the number is 60%, 65%, whatever. But you take the analytics to the extreme, as little as 50.01%, if, if you do it every time, it will fall your way just that one little pebble, that one little grain on the scale that tips it that way, then the idea is you do it all the time. And, you know, this is the point I try to make, and this is where the analytics mafia gets very, very defensive. They get very, very condescending. The point is any given coach does not have the luxury to hang around for all 100 times that you do it to have it work 51 times. It could be that the first 49 times you do it, it fails, and you get fired. And then the next 51 come up your way for the next coach. So that's where you've got to be pragmatic. You've got to be practical. And you've got to have a coach who understands when to say, hey, look, I get it. I comprehend the numbers. I realize that, that the mathematically prudent thing for me to do here is to do this because it's mathematically prudent to do it. 100 out of 100 times because it's going to hit 51 times. But this is going to be one of those times that I'm going to err on the 49% side. And, and I felt that specifically in the Chargers-Steelers game, Shireen, when it's tied up late and when the Chargers are facing fourth and one from their own 34 and they decide to go for it. You know, you look, under laboratory settings – and you, you punch those numbers in. It's 34-34, tie game with 348 to play, fourth and one from your own 34. Yeah, it makes sense to go for it there because then there's a certain percentage that you're going to hold them to a field goal and a certain percentage you're going to get a field goal or score a touchdown. And that's how it played out. But the problem is that formula ignores the fact that the team that's going for it on fourth and one was up 27-10 and blew the lead and the opponent had all the momentum and the opponent is feeling good about itself and you are handing them a golden opportunity to take the ball and score a touchdown and go up seven and then the next thing you know they're up 14 I mean you could feel kind of like just like that sense of oh my god why are they doing this I just think I and and I'm I, I know that the formulas get more and more complicated and detailed all the time. I don't think they take into account how much momentum the other team has developed as it's a race to 17-point deficit in the second half. I don't think that's part of the analysis yet. Yeah, and the emotions are, are out of the analysis. I mean, it's just straight numbers, and Brandon Staley just goes for it no matter what. And I didn't like that one, and it worked out for the Chargers in the long run. The only thing is, I guess if you figure they're going to score anyway and they have all the momentum, we'll have more time to go back down and score for ourselves. And it, and it worked out for them, a field goal to a touchdown. 
And so nobody's questioning today that decision by Brandon Staley. But I do wonder what would have happened if they had punted that ball, Mike, that the Steelers may not have gotten a field goal. Perhaps the Chargers hold them and have plenty of time to go down, run out the clock and and score the touchdown. But whatever, it worked out. So nobody's questioning Brandon Staley today. But it just feels like every time he's in this situation, regardless of where they are on the field, regardless of what else has happened in the game, that he's just flat out going to go for it. And I, I didn't look up the numbers today, but at one point, last time I looked up, they had gone for it more times than any other team on fourth down. I assume that's still the case based on us always seeing the Chargers go for it on fourth down. Hey, it's another data point that goes into the broader formula that justifies going for it fourth and one in that setting, tie game, with that much time left, because it worked. I mean, th- that's yeah. all That's all this is. It's taking past scenarios and how they played out and, and baking them into an effort to look forward. That's what, and, and that's fine, because if you, if you have enough evidence and enough iterations, at some point the numbers are going to harden. And if they keep playing football games over weeks and months and years, the numbers are going to settle in even more, and it's going to become very clear, and it is, it is just a matter of pushing a button. But, but, but that, that just – and I remember when analytics first started to really take off in baseball and people were saying, oh, this has application in football too. Baseball is basically a one-on-one battle between pitcher and batter because you – you expect the fielders to be good enough to do their jobs if the ball is hit to them. Now, I know there are errors, but at the highest level, they're not as prevalent as they are elsewhere. With, with football, it's an 11-on-11 fight yeah. where every guy has an assignment and every guy across from him has an assignment and something's got to give, and all it takes is one guy who isn't good enough, one guy who's maybe the backup, one guy who, who uh, you know, isn't feeling well that day whatever the case may be all it takes is one weak link and the whole thing collapses and and i've I've always been a little leery about these broad proclamations and judgments and decisions and i i I think it does have a place i'm not going to say it doesn't but i do think there are some situations where you have to consider you know just that that shereen you've been to enough games you get a sense in the building. There's a sense. It's intangible, but it's there when the momentum swings. You can feel it through the TV screen sometimes watching the game. You, you yeah. just it's, it's real, and I don't think that's conducive to any mathematical formula that anyone could devise. You and I are on the same wavelength on this, Mike. There's no question about that. I think there's a place for analytics, but I also think they're being overused at this point. You look at Bill Belichick. I mean, every coach in the NFL should be looking at Bill Belichick and what he does and how he does it. And he does it by gut feel. Now, I remember back in that Colts game, it didn't work out for them many years ago very well. But for the most part, he he knows when to do it and when not to do it. And they're very successful doing it when they do do it because he has a such a good gut feel for when they should use it. And by the way, great Matt, our producer, just looked up the numbers. Lions 23 fourth down attempts, Washington 23, Browns 22, Chargers, Titan, Jaguars at 18. So Brandon Stelly does not go for it more than the other. Happy to see Dan Campbell, though, going for some of those. When you're an Ofer team, I think you should go for it most times, Mike, to try to pull some extra possessions and score some points when you're not very good at scoring points. 
Well, that's right. And that's a time where you would ignore the analytics and do what's in the interest of yes. trying to give a desperate team a kick in the ass. So th- there are times where the analytics would tell you, don't go for it on fourth down, but you defy the math. A- and again, the closer you get to 51-49, the greater the reason there is to consider, maybe this is one of those situations where I go with the 49. Maybe there are other factors yeah. that favor me doing the thing that is just a hair under. And if I have to have an awkward conversation with the owner tomorrow, I'll defend myself. And, uh, th- but, but that really has changed the dynamics inside a football organization. Someone explained that to me earlier this year, um, that, that it makes the owners far better versed in communicating with coaches and not being bamboozled by coach speak used to be the owners would not feel like they could have an intelligent conversation with X's and O's. And now the owners can cut through the BS because they have a common language when it comes to analytics and it's making coaches more accountable and it's making them more willing to do things they otherwise wouldn't do because they know if they don't do the thing that the analytics expert is saying into the headset, you need to do it. You're going to have a problem the next day. All right. Do the Seahawks have a problem with Russell Wilson from the standpoint of did they rush him back? Look, what he did was impressive and Herculean. And I know that we love to make myths in sport. And, you know, I saw the picture of the pin that was jammed down his finger and the zigzag scar. And I, I, I got a ton of respect for his ability to come back. But, but something's wrong with the Seahawks, and he's part of the problem, Shereen. It's not like he's out there doing everything he can and he's – playing like a pro bowler and everyone around him stinks he's part of the stink oh absolutely he is mike and you do wonder if he should have taken those extra two weeks it was a four to six week injury and everybody applauded him coming back in four weeks and that's great but if you don't play very well when you come back it's hurting your team i think they were better off with geno smith one and two i realized with geno smith but they scored 61 points in those three starts. They've scored 13 in the last two games. So they have not been the same offense with Russell Wilson back. He was very good before he went out. He's not very good now, and he's a big part of the reason that the Seahawks are where they are. Now, can he get back to where he was? I don't know. We'll see if that finger is, is healing better and better every week. But this is a team that's lost five of their last six games, and they look like they're going nowhere to me, Mike. And you do wonder at the end of the season, is Russell Wilson gone, and is this a total rebuild? Do you totally start over? Do you move on from Pete Carroll, tear this thing down, and start over? I think the Seahawks will get less for Russell Wilson in March of 2022 than they would have gotten in March of 2021. And I don't know that he's regressed as much as other quarterbacks have caught him. Other younger quarterbacks are better than he is now and maybe better than he's ever been. There is some great young quarterback play that is causing some of the guys who were already established to, in comparison, not look as good. It could just be that, you know, Maybe not every quarterback is going to continue to get better and better and better with age like a Tom Brady. And, and Russell Wilson, you know, it, it could be that, and I hadn't really thought of this, he very much would like the offense to run through him. And Sim says from time to time that the approach in Seattle goes like this. Run the ball, play defense, and if we're down by 10 or more points in the fourth quarter, hey, Russell, can you save us? I just wonder if the offensive philosophy, cumulatively, 
over the last 10 years in Seattle yeah. has not exposed Russell Wilson to the kind of scenarios, iterations, and, and experiences that would allow him to diagnose a defense the way that a Tom Brady did at age 33, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it does make sense, Mike. And you do wonder what's wrong with him because this, I mean, it's not just been the last two games that he hasn't looked like Russell Wilson. Since the midpoint of last season, when we were talking about him as an MVP candidate, it's been since then that he really has not played all that well. Now, I realize he was leading the league in passer rating, but I still didn't think he was the Russell Wilson that we've seen in, in previous seasons, really leading this team, taking him on his back. Maybe they missed Chris Carson, too, more, as much or more than they missed Russell Wilson because the running game hasn't been there. As you said, they like to run the ball. They haven't been able to do that with Alex Collins and some other guys that they've thrown out there. So maybe they missed Chris Carson as much as they missed Russell Wilson. Who they miss is Marshawn Lynch because they have not had yeah, a guy who true. can suit up and play all the time at that position, and they have – Wasted draft picks, first-rounders like Rashad Penny. They had C.J. Procise. They had a lot of faith in him. bunch of guys since Marshawn Lynch who haven't gotten it done, and, and uh, here they are right now, and they're as bad as they've been in a long time. The fact that they've been so good for the last decade makes 3-7 and seven even more glaring, and you'll wonder where this is going to end. As I said earlier today, one of the reasons Pete Carroll came back yesterday, Shereen, after a half-hour break in Part 1 and Part 2 of his press conference he knows that those people he's talking to are the ones who are going to be writing the columns on whether or not he should come back next year. He wants to make friends with the people who buy their ink by the truckload. Oh, no question. Mike. You look at some of the headlines today. I, I don't know that he did that, but it was good. He came back and talked because that's not very unlike him to leave early. But I, I do think the Seahawks are going to have to take a hard, long look after this season about where they are and what they need to do to get back three and five in the postseason since those back-to-back -back Super Bowl appearances. All right. A round of true or false as this Monday edition of PFTPM moves forward. Right here on Peacock and Sirius XM 85. We'll be back right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. You grew up watching these Vikings-Packers rivalry games. What does this mean to you guys, not just to get a win like that, but over this team? Yeah, uh, I got to talk to the guys last night because... Um, because I grew up, you know, in Minnesota and, and what this game means. You know, a lot of guys, they know it's a big deal, but they don't really understand if you don't live it, you know. And so just being able to tell them, like, man, Packer Week. Love you, brother. You got this guy breaking tackles at the end. Hey, you I told him last night, I told him last night he's the best back in the league, hands down. That guy, he's a special player and he's a special teammate. Uh, but, you know, being able to talk to those guys and, and tell them, like, wearing the Vikings jersey all week at school and, and then and – then, you know, going to school on Monday and all the Packer fans coming at you if you lose and, and giving you a hard time. So uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for the kids to be able to go to school tomorrow and wear the Viking stuff. Adam Thielen, 
Kids got to go to school today wearing the Vikings jersey. It was a game right down to the wire. The Vikings now 5-5. Five and five. They've been in these close games. They've led by seven or more points in every game this season and are still 5-5. Five and five. True or false, Minnesota will make the playoffs. Well, first of all, Mike, I'm disappointed you have on your Chuck Foreman jersey today, but I'm I'm going to go with true based on the fact that they are five and five. That was a big victory. They have Chicago twice and Detroit. They should win those. They've led in every game they've played. They're currently the number six seed. This game this week is huge for tiebreaker purposes. The 49ers Vikings winner will have a tiebreaker head to head, obviously, when it comes down to, to seeding and who makes playoffs and who doesn't make the playoffs. Huge game this week for the Vikings and for the 49ers that'll further determine whether the Vikings are going to make the playoffs or not. True, false, it doesn't matter. If they do make the playoffs, they're going to be gone. They're going to be done in the wild card round. And if not, then they're going to be gone the division round. But I I will amend that statement with an acknowledgement that in past years when the Vikings have just been able to tread water, get a wild card berth, and then get to the playoffs, like when they beat the Saints a couple of years ago, well, then they step into the buzzsaw that is the San Francisco 49ers. And we've seen that in past years with them, where if they have some success, there's always a dominant team that they come up against that they just can't compete with. And I thought that there would be, you know, one, two, three this year. There really isn't a dominant team in the NFC. So I I don't want to give them any more credit than they deserve, because I still think they're deeply flawed on both sides of the ball as evidenced by the fact that they've led by seven or more points in every game and they've lost half of them. But we're trying to find the teams that could get hot. They could be the team that gets hot. They could. They've got enough talent to do it. And if Kirk Cousins has enough time to throw and the walls don't cave in, because when the walls cave in, he's done. And if the defense holds up just a little bit, I think they can do it. But I I just – it's – when when every game is basically a coin flip, proposition your luck's going to run out sooner rather than later yeah but the last two games Mike to me have been very impressive beating the Chargers beating the Packers those are two games you didn't expect them to win they can get hot based on that schedule now they got some big games coming up but they've shown they can they can hang with the best teams it's 49ers on the road, Lions on the road, then I believe a Thursday night short week game against the Steelers, and then an extra day on the back end of the mini-bye to play the Bears in Chicago. So they're on the road three of the next four games, and I think they need to go three and one over the next four to really be alive down the stretch because there's a lot of teams in the NFC who are in the chase. True or false, Jonathan Taylor will be the second running back to win the NFL's MVP award in the last 15 seasons. The only other one, Adrian Peterson, who won it with a strong finishing kick in 2012. I think it's false, Mike. There's just too many quarterbacks. I think, you know, MVP voters tend to go with the quarterback of the team that either gets the one scene in the NFC or the AFC. I think it'll be that way again, more than likely, unless it's like the Titans that get the top seed in the AFC, which I don't think they will. But whoever that team is, I think is more likely to get it. To be a running back and win that award, you have to have a really special season. And maybe he yet will, but he's on pace for, he's averaging 102 yards a game. He's on pace for 1,734. Well, that's not even the NFL record, not even close to the NFL record. Chris Johnson, his yards from scrimmage, has the record to 2509. He's on pace for 2231, not even close to the record with an extra game. 
He's going to have to really pick it up. He's been really good for this team. This is why they've been on this winning streak. But he's going to have to be even better than what he's been, Mike, in order to win the MVP award. Yeah, look, for now I'll say false because, number one, they have to win the division. They have to overcome the Titans for him to have a chance. And number two, it depends on who the quarterbacks of the one seeds are. If the Patriots get the one seed, that makes it a little more likely for Jonathan Taylor because I don't think Mac Jones is getting MVP votes. Who gets the one seed in the NFC? If it's the Packers, does Aaron Rodgers become the MVP? If it's the Cardinals but Kyler Murray's missed three games, does that open the door for Jonathan Taylor? So there's a lot of other factors that are interconnected to determine who the MVP is. And speaking of the Patriots, true or false, they will win the AFC East and get the one seed in the conference. True or false? I say false. I still think the Bills are going to win that division, but if you ask me the most disappointing team right now, I'm going to say the Bills sitting there at 6-4. and four. I don't know what's going on with the Bills, but uh, the, the Patriots have some, some really good teams coming up. They play the Bills twice in the next four games, and they got the Titans and the Colts. So I don't think – I think they're going to get in the postseason. I don't think they win the division. I certainly don't think they get the number one seed. I think they win the division. I think they will be the number one seed. They're the hottest team right now in the conference. And yesterday, watching the Titans lose, watching the Bills lose in ugly fashion, both of them, those are the next two opponents for the New England Patriots. And it makes it even more likely that the Patriots will take care of business, win the next two, move the 9-4, and four, and be in the driver's seat in the AFC. I just Nobody wants to deal with the Patriots being back. But I have a feeling that they're back and they're going to be in as good position as anyone to make a run in January with Bill Belichick as the quarterback or as the coach, not as the quarterback. That would be a problem if he was the quarterback, not a (laughs) problem with Bill Belichick as the coach. It would be awesome, but I think it would be problematic. I would pay a lot of money to watch him in shotgun formation, taking a snap and trying to do something with it. All right, let's take a break. When we return, his former quarterback, Tom Brady, playing tonight against the Giants. We'll get you ready for that game next on PFTPM. Looking for the tie. Two-point conversion. Shotgun. Jones looks to his right, throws to his right, and it is broken up! Trying to hit Lewis. Flag down. This could decide the ball game. And here is is the call. There is no foul for defensive pass interference on the play. It's over. The Buccaneers hold on. That was week eight, 2020, Monday Night Football. Bad non-call there because Antoine Winfield Jr. did make contact with the receiver before the ball arrived. It should have been another opportunity from the one for the two-point conversion that would have forced overtime. Instead, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won that game in New York 25-23 to en route, obviously, to a Super Bowl championship. Now the Bucs have lost two in a row, Shereen. Tom Brady has not lost three in a row since 2000. And two, the Giants, 15 days to get ready for this one. The Giants, they've had the formula in the past to compete with Brady. Joe Judge, the Giants coach, was with Brady for an extended period of time in New England. This is going to take everything the Buccaneers can muster to get this win. They badly need it. There's a sense of urgency. They haven't won a game in 29 days. Hard to imagine them not winning tonight. They're undefeated at home this year. They're 4-0, and they are averaging over 40 points a game at home. For whatever reason, this is a bad road team this year. We know how good they were on the road in the postseason a year ago. They haven't been able to duplicate that, but they're home tonight. The Giants want to beat them. They're going to have to score an awful lot of points, Mike, especially since 
Brady's main man, Gronk, is expected to play tonight. And they've really missed something with Gronkowski. He got injured back in week three against the Rams. He had two touchdowns each of the first two games. And he said to reporters last week that that rib injury, he said, I've never been shot, but it felt like being shot. Although if you've never been shot, how do you – it's Gronk. So (laughs) Yeah. But, but it took him a while to come back from it. He came back week eight and exited quickly, and then the rib injury came a back injury, and he's been out ever since. But it looks like he's going to go. They need him, and they need Antonio Brown. Yeah. Brown has been gone for several weeks now with an ankle injury. Even with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait, there's an element of comfort, familiarity, skill, whatever, all things combined when Gronk and Antonio Brown are there. And without them, it just feels like a different team. Yeah, they're undefeated with A.B. in the lineup, 5-0. and oh. They do need him back, too. They're going to be a different offense tonight with Gronk back. When they get both of those get guys back, they'll really be a different offense. And that's good because they're going to have to outscore teams with their defense still banged up, especially in the secondary. When they get all those guys back at whatever point, I think this is going to be a really good team. I think they're going to make a run, and I think they're going to be a really good team in the postseason again. They're going to be a contender But right now, Mike, they're struggling defensively. And on top of that, they're struggling a little bit offensively, which makes it hard when your defense is really struggling. Also, it's going to be very interesting during the extended pregame show on ESPN to see whether and to what extent they talk about the Antonio Brown fake vaccination card situation. I, I think that the NFL wants this thing gone, wants it over, wants it done, wants to say nothing about it. By now, four days later, the league either knows that it was fake or knows that it was real, and we haven't heard a word about it. I think they just prefer this to all go away because if it was fake, it's not the only one, and I have a feeling a lot of them were fake. So we'll stay real, and we'll be back tomorrow. Unless we aren't. Have a great day. Shereen, great job as always. Enjoy the game tonight. Sorry I hugged the last 30 seconds. No. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.